Welcome back to the Marvel Movie Minute, a daily podcast in which we assemble to explore the films of the Marvel Cinematic Universe one minute at a time. In this, our sixth season, we are looking at the Avengers. I'm Andy Nelson from the Next Real Film Podcast. I'm Pete Wright, and today we bid farewell to some of our favorite pipes of the helicarrier. Oh, uh, that's right. We're talking about Minute 78, which begins with the hallway chase and ends with Steve warning Tony about that thing getting up to speed. Back on the show, it's Jason Dittmer. Jason, hello. Hello, everybody. Oh, this is uh, this going to be fun. So we're kicking this minute off. Uh, I, I will say this is, I suppose you could say, an iconic moment of the film, specifically because of this shot that we are getting right toward the start of this minute as Natasha runs down this... I don't know, uh, you know, pipe storage hallway, we're calling it. And you have that fantastic shot of Hulk running behind her to catch up. And I mean, it's, it's just a well-crafted shot that, that ends with Hulk swatting her away. Uh, I mean, what do you think of this shot? Is this, is this something, you know, Pete, I know there's a lot you do love about this film. Is this one of those shots that kind of lights you up? Oh, yeah, because this is like, you you know they're on set shooting this shot, and they're saying, okay, this is going to be a trailer shot, so we have to get this right. You know what I mean? Like, this is, they they know the shots that they're, that, that are hero shots. And this is one of them. Not for the least of which, because we have two of our heroes in them at the same time, perfectly nested together. The composition is perfect. Everything is perfect about it. It is an all-adrenaline dopamine shot. And, uh, you know, damn to us for stopping and watching it one minute at a time and realizing how <laughs> Silly it is because of pipes and stuff, but it it just looks good. <laughs> Damn to us, Pete. What about you, Jason? I mean, I mean, acknowledging the truth of what Pete says, but <laughs> I need to. I need to go. I, I shall now take him down place. a peg. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, have you guys been on a naval vessel? Yes, uh, either of you. I've been yes. on uh, ships before and found the hallways all incredibly, incredibly narrow and. and Height. This is where I was headed with ceiling heights on naval vessels. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's no way in a, even a large helicarrier that you would take your pipe storage area, for instance, or your canned ham storage area, uh, uh, <laughs> any of them, and require those spaces to be the 20 feet high that clearly it has to be for the Hulk to run uh, not stooped over. And I think, you know, you could make the case that the, the scene, albeit not as aesthetically pleasing, would uh, somehow feel more realistic if the Hulk was kind of stooped over, banging his head all the time, uh, <laughs> unable to run fast. I mean, that actually evens the fight out quite nicely if he's kind of bent over at the waist and can only look at his own toes. <laughs> but I think what you're describing is is impossible given the physics of the movie. What would actually happen is Hulk's head would just be up through the ceiling and it would be <laughs> running face first through the pipes and the metal above, right? That's but that's the reality. Amazing that shot <laughs> shot from the floor above where you just see his face coming like a shark fin. It's exactly right. The metal. And and the hero shot below is just Natasha in the right scale and just all you see is just right above just chat <laughs> once again we're here to fix the marvel movies everybody Honestly, we, this, we should we should have done this yep. i mean they, we would have been a fraction of the cost but um <laughs> or extraordinarily more expensive <laughs> like, you know how much a floor costs and what are these things right the cgi hulk head running through a bulkhead i have no idea oh hulk head through bulkhead, hulk head I didn't even through bulkhead. jason 
Genius. Another work. another Once episode again. title right there from Jason. Why haven't you written more books? <laughs> I think that might Not be the title of yes, next right. one. <laughs> uh, what I what I do enjoy about this though is we are getting this real sense of you know a human, which is Natasha, no one with a superpower, who is going up against the Hulk and actually like. This is kind of her worst fear come come to light that I mean, we've kind of had alluded to over the course of the film. I mean, even the first time she went to Kolkata to meet Bruce and convince him to come uh, join them, you know, she does seem on edge a little bit. And so this is kind of that sense of her in this place where she never wanted to get where where the Hulk is actually coming after her. And I mean, it, to the point where he does uh, take a swipe at her and knocks her into a wall. And she clearly is uh, not feeling very good after all of that. And it's only uh, the fact that Thor suddenly decides, hey, you know, everyone else is doing something. I suppose I should help out in some capacity. And Thor finally, finally decides to show up at this particular point. Can I, can I have a, can, a comment about the, the Hulk? Please. Like, stand, threatening over Natasha. And I, I just, this is a thing that has always stood out to me, and I'm sure I'm, I'm the only one who's really looking at this. But when, so Hulk, is, he's running down the hall. He hits her. She's, she slams over into the opposite direction. He slams into, like, some fan blades. It looks like some vent blades that looks like he should have gone right through them, frankly, given the destruction that he's already caused. But somehow these stop him. And then he comes over and he looms over her and he prepares to hit her. And how does he prepare to hit her? He prepares to hit her with a backhand slap. Yeah. Does Hulk strike you guys particularly as a backhand slap guy? Like, you know, I'm, I'm kind of asking that question half seriously because the setup of this is a giant masculine physical creature over a diminutive creature, a woman underneath him, and he's backhand slapping her. And that to me feels like much more of a posture, not of fighting. Uh, of uh, equal footing fighting, but of uh, abuse, of an ab- abusive stature. Mm-hmm. And I've never looked at this scene without connecting that part of it and and looking at how, like, this relationship between this larger figure to this smaller one. And I, I find it sort of distasteful. Not, you know, all the way back to the character of Hulk, he doesn't strike me as a backhand slap kind of guy. He's a punchy punch guy. He's a, a, a bald fist guy, right? He's a throw body through walls guy. He's not a, a backhand slap because a backhand slap to me sends more of a message and i want to know if i'm alone when he first hits her it's also a backhand yeah that's that's what i was going to say is that it, it feels that's the bit that i hadn't clocked the the subsequent almost backhand um but what i found kind of difficult is you know he, he's so enraged he's plowing through metal bars and everything to get to her and then he you know for the hulk it's a, it's a love tap right i mean uh you know, it's like, well, why is he even doing this then? Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, what's he going to do? Why not hit her hard the first time? You know, why do you have to go back and do it again? But um, I think I think you raise a really interesting point, uh, Pete. And, and it, it seems slightly out of character. And, you know, I don't know if uh, we want to talk about it, but, you know, the, the kind of uh, subsequent news about the, the director and so on, you know, becomes, you know, the, the question of misogyny kind of looms large, I think, in, in the, the way these 
relationships are portrayed. Well, it does. And that's that is, you know, one of many reasons that this sticks out to me, that the gift of hindsight changes the perspective of these sequences like this. And I am curious, you know, we we have no deleted scene to illuminate this for us. But from a performative side of this film, I'm curious who came up with that. Who came up with that idea? Is it Ruffalo in a motion capture suit saying, you know, maybe it would be in character for me to do this? That's very different than if it's the director making that making that conscious choice. Or, yeah, I mean, there there are a lot of places. I mean, it could be the, the yeah. cinematographer saying, you know, if he uses his right arm and brings it up, it, it will look it, it gives us a little better, uh, you know, composition in the frame. I mean, who knows? Who but knows? Regardless, it, it is the director who ends up saying, yes, let's do it that way. And that yes here has a lot of baggage. Yeah, I guess that's my, that's my point. No, and uh, yeah, I think there's a, a valuable uh, a point to be you know thought about in in context of that. And you know, we certainly have talked about it over the course of the season, Jason, as far as like um, the the controversy and everything. And you know, we we generally when we're talking about the director, uh, uh, call him Tignataro anyway, um, uh, be- because of the whole uh, Army of the Dead. Uh, swap uh-huh. uh, if you're familiar with that and so we just we think that's kind of funny but um anyway it, it's it's definitely a a topic of discussion that you know as, as we look at this film 11 years after its release there are some of these moments that do stand out as as uh, less than tasteful unfortunately but that does lead us into thor uh arriving now, I have a question about Thor's arrival, because generally when you see Thor arriving, as he does here to stop something, where it's moving at a ridiculously fast speed and, uh, and like takes whatever it is off, out of frame immediately, it's generally because he has Mjolnir and he's swinging Mjolnir around to, quote, fly at whatever it is that he's trying to attack. In this case, he doesn't have Mjolnir. And so I'm just, is this the first time we've seen Thor, like, he's, I guess, just jumping at Hulk so hard that that he is able to push Hulk through the wall? Does it, I don't know. I, as I watch this, the fact that Mjolnir isn't here ends up bothering me more. Mm. I don't know. Does it strike either of you as, as a Thor move, or, or how does it play for you? I don't know that if I don't know that I've ever thought about it as being a being a Thor move, but also you know, note I'm always super distracted by the Hulk. So by the time we get to Thor entering, it just feels like oh look, we're going to surprise the audience with another effective jump scare, right? That that there is a shocking explosion, uh, a concussive explosion here, and oh look, it's Thor. And I I don't think I've ever really stopped to think about it, the fact that he doesn't have Mjolnir, but. I do think now that you bring it up, part of the reason that he doesn't have Mjolnir here is because calling Mjolnir makes for such a great moment later. Well, that's exactly why. I mean, obviously, it's like they wanted to just save the Mjolnir yeah. um, you know, call so that it could right. be a moment that we get in a in a beat in a little bit here. But you're right that I think in a way it's unnecessary. You know, he just has to move rapidly in. And if he did that kind of on his own legs rather than kind of sailing through the air, I think it still would have been just as good, if not better, actually, you know. But and it also it's just like, why was Thor taking so long to was he lost? I mean, he's never been in the helicarrier really before. And so maybe he's just running around trying to follow the sounds and maybe Hulk got so quiet that he ended up kind of getting lost for a minute in the, in it's the all pipe like room. around. Yeah. It was, it was, uh, <laughs> it threw him. Very elusive. <laughs> I mean, I have to say, I love this 
this to me is the 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 giddy thrill of the Avengers is watching the Hulk and Thor go at it. Um, you know, I think it's my favorite of the if the, you know, necessary pairing off of the different heroes to have conflict, um, you know, because it is so, uh, you know, it's impressive. It's on a scale that the kind of the others don't quite do. And, and it's all about strength. And, you know, the, the Hulk obviously looks the part and Thor is kind of, he looks underpowered. And yet at the same time, you know, he's Thor and he has this, uh, you know, these incredible powers and, um, I was a big Thor fan when I was a when I was a young a young lad uh, in the comics. I, I wasn't in the comics, but I was a fan <laughs> when of when you were in the comics. In the comics. That one time. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, just to clarify, <laughs> I'm, I'm really you've been person. around. <laughs> <laughs> but um, you know, this was this was one that filled me with joy, sparked joy, as Mary Kondo would say. I I think so too, and I think this setup here that you get to see the 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 appearances, uh, you know, aren't aren't everything kind of a fight uh, is is also a great setup for the callback that comes later for just a punchline to the joke. And they use these the the sort of physical domination bit as a punchline. We know that when Hulk punches Thor, he can take it. And that's also what makes it funny. And I think that's I, I think it's just it, it's, again, uh, perfect, perfect writing and architecture of their relationship. I love it. I like, too, that you know, Thor, who in his first films is you know made to be the kind of uh rash you know ill-considered um hero uh you know his line to hulk is that he needs to think <laughs> you know it's like all of a sudden thor is this uh you know chess player uh who <laughs> can you know can can lecture other people about using their brains <laughs> I, I, now I'm picturing the Thor, the the uh, Lebowski Thor, when he's playing uh, what is it Fortnite in in Endgame. <laughs> that that Thor yelling at the person playing chess across the table from him. Yes. <laughs> oh, to dream! I'll tell you, tying it together uh, with the previous conversation about the backhand, I would pay good money to watch Thor and Hulk play slapsies. You know, <laughs> just taking turns slapping each other. You know? That would be pretty funny. <laughs> That'd be great. That would be great. <laughs> That'd be great. Yeah, for sure. So they do. They burst through the wall. Now they're in the lower lower docking area. I guess I don't know. I, I'm not quite familiar with aircraft carriers, but my guess is there must be some form of platforms on these that like lower, like bring aircraft down from the upper deck to work on them and yeah, work on them and store them. Yeah, right. Yeah, that's right. That's an elevator. This is where you know, as we were talking about yesterday or a couple minutes ago, as far as the number of people that presumably would be on some sort of helicarrier or aircraft carrier type of vehicle. Uh, there should be, you know, 6,000-ish people on it. And all we have here in this room is about 14, 15 maintenance workers. So I don't know where everybody else is. I mean, Clint and his team of seven do an awful lot of damage, considering there are, are so few of them and theoretically so many people on here. But I guess we just don't know. I mean, Andy, I think, you know, the comparison isn't really fair because uh, an actual aircraft carrier has to figure out how to float on the water to stay where it is. And you need a lot of people to do that. Whereas a flying aircraft carrier that needs four engines constantly in motion 24 hours a day with sufficient power to lift several billion tons of steel into the air, that only takes about two dozen people. Yeah. And computers. That's it. Yeah, they yeah, solved it computers, with computers. The, it's much easier. And relays. electricity relays and pipes. Yeah, yeah. it's yeah. the shield training program, really. <laughs> right? Yeah, I mean, each shield 
engineer is worth two dozen of the regular guys, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> they've really they've really put a corner on on engineering economy, right? Their costs, yeah, right? their training costs are very, very low. <laughs> So I want I want to talk a little bit about Thor and Hulk. I mean, we've we've um, the relationship here. I think is interesting, and I, I'm curious about what they're giving us as far as like um, the audience, as far as who these characters are and what they already know, as opposed to just like things that we end up inferring as an audience. Because I think it's interesting that Thor has never seen Hulk. He didn't. I mean, I can't imagine. I mean, we never see. Fury give Thor the homework, the same like files that he has given to other people to study so that they knew who they would be working with. I, and if he did, I can't imagine Thor actually watching any of that. So it does make <laughs> me wonder, uh, like, did he even know Bruce Banner could turn into this? I mean, he instantly, you know, he's fighting this guy. He says, we are not your enemies, Banner. So I guess he knows that it's Banner. But how? Um, I the only thing that I can think of is that after the explosion in the lab a few minutes ago, somebody told him. I don't know if that would have been Fury that said, you know, can you help find Natasha? Bruce turns into a big green monster, just so you know. So if you see one, that might be Bruce. I, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, he has to know, right? I mean, does he has to know because of the whole the whole scene uh, with the Loki's staff and everything, right? That's all before this and. They're all worried about him turning into the Hulk. I guess so. It's just Thor's there. Yeah, right? Thor's there. Thor's it, there. Uh, it's just there. There hadn't been a specific conversation about like what that means. You know, I mean, is is it just? Mm. Does it look like Bruce Banner, but he's just angrier, or right, or or what? Or <laughs> does the Hulk is his like high school nickname, <laughs> and he gets a little too drunk, right? You know, they're like, don't turn into the Hulk. You know, you don't mark you're better than that now. It's just Mark Ruffalo, but he's ripped his sleeves off of his shirt. Like that's I'm so it. Mad. I'm so mad, you all. I I think that I I have taken it as just sort of like that that everybody's been talking about what happens to Banner, and that Hulk is the different thing on the ship right now like i have to imagine that he's he's not that he's aloof and he's kind of you know pretty boy dumb but he's not that dumb thor that i think he's pretty much picked up on what what has happened here i think i'm i'm tracking what he's tracking yeah i mean i think that we as an audience do i just wonder if if it's just the shortcuts that the director is taking because we've seen the hulk movie we already know we've seen the thor movie and now the two of them are together it's obvious that thor must know what hulk looks like i just i mean maybe Thor saw the Hulk movie. <laughs> that's, that's a really good point, right? That's, right. I like that. Yeah. It was a big hit. Huge. It was a big, especially hit. in Asgard. Very <laughs> yeah. much yeah, so. Right. There. Uh, I really do like. Uh, you already brought this up, but the um, the line that <laughs> that elicits the punch from Hulk is when Thor tells him, "Try to think." That actually <laughs> plays <laughs> pretty well. All right. Well, all of that is going on down in the uh, the lower deck. Now we're ending up going back out to the engine room and we cut in after uh, we I mean, it's actually great action cut because we see Thor flying through a bunch of uh, a bunch of material and we cut then to Tony breaking out of a bunch of material and, and appearing uh, just over the giant fan blades of this engine. Um, my my first question, though, as as fantastic as the cut is, would it have made more sense for him to instead of breaking his way through a wall to just kind of fly up and over down to where where the engine was? 
It's just sky overhead. Again, <laughs> no respect for walls. No one has any respect for walls and stuff. <laughs> I had no idea I mean, that we were going to bring this back around to Tony also <laughs> destroying walls. Everybody's breaking walls. <laughs> I I think the other thing is, though, that the, the piece of that, like, I love this reveal so much. And, you know, it's such a great dramatic reveal to have Tony coming from such a dark place. But really, those eyes are so bright. Like, it's daylight. Does he need to have full beams on? I, it's <laughs> like, we get it. Your eye headlights up. It's fine. But really, that's full brightness. <laughs> But it looks so cool, Pete. It does look cool. But you'd think it would be like automatic, like some cars. When another headlight pours, points at them, they go down <laughs> to dim. I mean, I, was, yeah, I think you pointed out there's some good, you know, health and safety issues here that need to be dealt <laughs> right. with. What if two superheroes, what if he and War Machine <laughs> are looking are at each other? Towards each other totally and neither of them can see. <laughs> they just plow into each other and cause a huge nuclear explosion That's or right. something. That's exactly what I'm getting at. As long as they don't do it over New Jersey. <laughs> yes. Over the sweet garden state. <sighs> uh, I mean, so, all right. The, this bit plays fine, but, you know, we were joking about knocking pieces out over the course of, over, just over the opening of New Jersey and, and, and into the fan blade, too. Here we have Tony bursting his way through this this vent, knocking all sorts of like just i i don't know they look like iron girders just pieces down into the fan blade like he pushes all this forward and he's right over the fan blade it's like you're just knocking more into the fan blade why is this the way that you chose to <laughs> to come into this so you could sort all of this out i find it very funny i'm i'm gonna fix it anyway kind of thing like i like i know it doesn't work i'm gonna get to it and i don't care about new jersey <laughs> That is. That's the worldview. I mean, he is a New Yorker. He's, New I mean, he, Yorker. he's, a, he's a city guy, isn't he? He's not really a New Jersey guy. Um, <laughs> oh, I mean, oh dear. Talk? I'm I, sorry. Some debris is going to hit the people who are like <laughs> fishing for catfish and under the paper mill at the on the Passaic River. Like, am I really, really sweating this? <laughs> he probably assumes New Jersey is mostly debris anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, are we going to talk oh. about the ridiculousness of the, the he has to jumpstart it? I mean, <laughs> oh, yeah. what is it? A, a 68 Buick that you need to get going downhill? I mean, it's right. It's right. Know, it's simultaneously super high tech, you know, but also, you know, corresponds to basically mid 20th century technology. Yeah. All right, Fury, I'm going to need you to ride the clutch. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> The the whole thing, it's, it's, yeah, and and how is he even aware of that? Like, he just popped out and is looking at it. It's like, what what are you looking at here at these rotors that tells you, oh, I'm going to have to jumpstart it? Anyway, like, it just doesn't, like, none of this makes sense. It's just, it's just designed to really give us a cool moment. Andy, he has the entire schematic in his HUD, lest we forget. He knows what he's looking at because the debris is highlighted in red. That's the, why yeah. he knows. The, the one piece of debris, right? Hopefully sorted. I mean, 
I don't want to be pedantic. <laughs> oh, but I'm going to be. Somebody hang up on Jason. He's forgotten why he's here. <laughs> there are some emails that I won't even bother to read or reply to because I don't want to work on my iPhone screen. You know, so don't tell me that the little six inch screen, I mean, because the screen in front of his eyes has to be basically the size of an iPhone, right? Maybe one of the larger models, right? Because it's right in front of his eyes. It's about two inches away from his face. It, it, you know, he's looking at a micro screen. Don't tell me that the, the depth of resolution on that is such that you can instantaneously diagnose the problems with a major engine system that you've never even seen before. I mean, he'll get eye strain at a minimum. I mean, I think there's real questions here about his long term ability to read fine print and <laughs> yeah. you know, just, not get not get headaches. I, I mean, I, um, all I can see now is like from his perspective is just like talking to Steve and seeing blue blur. Like it's just like yeah. <laughs> it, one day Jarvis is going to say, "Why don't you read my emails, man?" <laughs> Are you telling me you've been sending me emails to the suit? No, I never read those there. <laughs> Yeah, he's going to have to get the bifocal version. Where he can, like, <laughs> His progressives you know, are very expensive. <laughs> well, it's like, so when he's in, okay, let's go further. When he's in the Avengers Tower and he's, like, designing stuff, right? He's, like, moving stuff in three-dimensional space and he's doing all this really cool stuff, which actually weirdly seems pretty realistic now yeah. after 11 years. Uh, you know, but when he's in the suit, how does he manipulate the screen? You know, so it's like, does he twinkle his nose like in Bewitched, <laughs> like to double click or, you know, let me just tell you, know, you like, how does he get the debris to move in, in his vision? You're saying a, that you keep in mind. I know that you're making a gag here, but we just got the PlayStation oh, VR my. VR two at our house and it has gaze tracking. So I can look at what? stuff. I look at stuff and it takes action on what I'm staring at. So like oh, this God. stuff feels legit to me. You're talking about like weirdly it feels realistic. That feels realistic to me now that I can wow, target man. stuff with my eye, with where I'm looking. It's unreal. It's unreal that this is in my living room right now. Consumer technology. If I get what's the name of the technology? It's PlayStation VR two, the headset. Oh, VR two. Yeah. So if I get that headset, can I get it to do my emails for me? You, like, I would. You know what? <laughs> I'm just going to say yes, only because I'd like to see what happens next. That's right. That's right. <laughs> I'd like you to send me an email using that. Have right. for me. <laughs> All right. Well, I, I will. I will concede the point. Then, All right. That All right. this is not an unrealistic. It, it is the only point I would scenario. like to ask you to concede this week. So, <laughs> although I do like to picture Tony uh, wiggling his nose to make things happen, but as long as we it. have that <laughs> that goes along with it. <laughs> I'm sure a bewitched reference is going to go down great with the the audience for this. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. We're I'm right in the pocket that. now. Yeah. All the MCU fans are really into bewitched. <laughs> It's like the Scarlet Witch, you guys, but blonder. <laughs> I think that was the tagline for the that show, actually. Exactly it. it. Yeah, that's right. Ah, <laughs> uh, man. All right. So we get this moment with this um, uh, the relays and everything. And, and what Iron Man says is, I got to clear the rotors. Even if I clear the rotors, this thing won't reengage without a jump. I'm going to have to get in there and give it a push. This is that whole thing. And I, I guess what that means is, uh, I don't know, the way that the scene is constructed from the last time we were here, 
Steve had said that this whole thing about the superconducting cooling system, we have to get it back online. And I guess that whatever Steve was doing, because we don't ever get any more of the scene. Suddenly we come back in here and Steve's like, all done. And, and this was after he looked at it and said, it looks like it's some form of electricity. And so I don't know, did Tony give him some directions or was Steve able to figure it out or was everything just okay? And Steve looked at it and said, yeah, the relays are intact. It all looks great. Steve just rerouted the superconducting cooling system to the combustion power plant. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. I just actually like to think that he's just flipping breakers until lights turn green. <laughs> he's just in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's all we all do, right? Totally done, right. Yep, exactly. Well, that's pretty much the end of the minute as they're having this conversation. So I think that's a good place to bring it to a close for today. Uh, so it's been a great conversation, Jason. Thank you again, as always, for being here to talk about Minute 78 with us. Thank you, guys. I've enjoyed Minute 78 uh, even more than 77 <laughs> and 76. Who would have thought? Who would have thought? <laughs> Uh, remind everybody again about your book and where uh, where they can uh, where they can pick it up. Wait a minute, Jason wrote a book. <laughs> <laughs> there's this, there's a, I mean, it's a book, a booklet. Some might say it's <laughs> it's it's a humble booklet. Uh, no, it's available from Temple University Press, and it's a book called Captain America and the Nationalist Superhero, and it uh, charts the the kind of creation of the Nationalist Superhero, which is a superhero that is identified with a with a particular nation, and. Uh, I start with Captain America and I follow it to Canada and the UK and uh, I have tons of fun and I hope you have fun too. Who are some of the others that you said Canada, the UK, what are some of their uh, superheroes that are the nationalist superheroes? Well, in World War II, there was uh, Captain Canuck and uh, Canada Jack (laughs) and uh, my favorite, which was Nelvana of the Northern Lights. Oh, Um, wow. And then it, the UK doesn't really get, they have kind of World War II comics, but they aren't really superhero comics. And, and really, it's with the arrival of Marvel UK in the 1960s, uh, or excuse me, 1970s, that I think you start to see like Union Jack and Captain Britain. And I followed that kind of through Excalibur and uh, and, and so on into the, the relatively recent present. So uh, it was uh, a lot of fun for me. It started off as a short project and ended up being quite big because I moved over here to London and all of a sudden the project got a, another country bigger. And, uh, <laughs> that's no way to finish your book. So, uh. <laughs> well, that's fantastic. Uh, we will have the link for it in the show notes. So check that out, everybody. If you're not seeing the show notes in your podcatcher, just go to our website, marvelmovieminute.com and you can get all those links there. You can also learn about our membership and uh, where you can get access to all the episodes early and ad-free. That is it for today. We'll be back tomorrow to talk about Minute 79 with Jason. So, Pete, thanks as always. If you thought our conversation about superconducting superconductors was hot, wait till you hear what we have to say about maglev. (laughs) Until next time, true believers. Marvel Movie Minute is a production of True Story FM, engineering by Andy Nelson. This season's music is Message to the World by Anthony Vega, and this season's show art is by Winston Yabo. Find the show at truestory.fm. If your podcast app allows ratings and reviews, please consider doing that for our show. <laughs> <laughs>